Hey, I'm Michael. And I'm Greg. And we're two new dads and the co-founders of a company called Lalo and your hosts of The Dad Pod, where we talk with cool dads doing cool stuff so we can learn a thing or two. Today, we talk with Jelani Memory, an entrepreneur based in Portland, Oregon, and the founder of a kid's book about a company that makes kids' books meaningful. On this episode, we talk to Jelani about fatherly role models, raising a mixed-race family, having tough combos with kids, and of course, poop. So, Mike, one of the things, of course, you know, we always talk about poop here. I had a pretty interesting experience uh, this weekend. So, you know, when your kid is like a little bit constipated, mm-hmm. I mean, it happens to me too occasionally. But this interesting thing about when your kid is constipated is the anticipation you have to what is coming next. Oh, the total explosion, you the mean? The total explosion, like blowout up the back on you, figure it out. But this is interesting, right? Because when they're constipated, you are actively trying to figure out how they can, how you can make sure that they do have that blowout. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, what can you put in their system? Yeah, I mean- Any good tricks? I mean, Indian food, which is exactly what, what I did. My son has never really, you know, he's had pretty like bland stuff, pureed stuff, sweet potato, maybe a, a, a bomba here or there. But that's as far as it goes. So we decided to step it up a notch. My wife and I ordered Indian food on Friday night, uh, which was great. So we had two-day leftover Indian lentils and decided that that was going to be the thing that we'd give him to make him go. And it worked like a charm. An absolute charm. I mean, this kid had the blowout of blowouts on his leg, up his back, all into his hair. Almost just shy. No, but I mean, like, this is the type of day where he had three baths. Like, because, like, once he shat, once he shat that one time, it's not like it stopped. Like, you know, it just like kept, 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 kept going. Um, But I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing how you can obsess over poop when you become a parent. Oh my god! I mean. Even even from the very beginning, you start with the stages of colors of poop, right? Like you're going from like black to brown to green to yellow to brown. Like it's a constant evolution. They should make a Pantone book of poop colors. I think I think they do. <laughs> if they don't, it's coming soon. Partnership with Lalo. But yeah, it's it's completely wild. I mean, Gemma luckily hasn't had so much constipation, but mm. back in the day when she was really small, she really hated going in the car. And she would cry and cry and cry and cry until, and we just called it shit fits, right? Because she would, she would cry until she had a blowout. <laughs> and and we used to joke that she pooped with velocity because it was just so like you knew every time you're getting in the car, a poop was coming or or a throw up or yeah. a throw up. She would cry so hard that she would what we call the shit fit. Interesting. So how do you pre- like how do you pre- even prepare for that? Like is extra this, outfit. Do you do you That's stop it. the car every time or do you just kind of It's like when I tell my wife like there's no peeing on this trip, like we have to get <laughs> to our end destination. Do you just keep going cuz you know the crying is not going to stop or we would try. We tried that. I think there was uh you know, number 1, we didn't at that time, you know, Gemma turns a year tomorrow. So it's it's a little different, but um, than it was back then. She's a little bit calmer. We try to now time it up with nap time. Ooh, that was a big one. Um, you another got, you thing got the, we realized: you got the mirror. we have a mirror. That now. was game changing. You said the, the bit. Well, the biggest game changer was for a while in the early days. My wife would sit in the back with her, and now actually, and then we were like, "Why won't she just be happy?" And then we realized she just wants my wife. She can see her like, yeah, she, she wants the boob. And one day, my wife just came to the front seat. She's like, "I." I can't do anything. I just got to come to the front. And then Gemma just got quiet. 
and she just like rode in peace. So that was a big fix. And then, because she didn't, you know, she realized she didn't have to show show off her mom that she was taking a huge dump in the back seat. There, there was no pressure. She, <laughs> she likes just, to poop in privacy. Yeah, exactly. Don't but, don't we all? But um, you know, and then and then we found a song, and that song became my number one played song on Spotify for the year. It literally, my Spotify is on repeat. You know, like you set your repeat. Yeah, you can like repeat a playlist or repeat, or you can pre- repeat a single song. So by default, my Spotify is on repeat a single song because it's my number one played song and it just plays on repeat in the car until she stops. But yeah. Stops crying or stops pooping? No crying. The poop, <laughs> that, that phase is long gone, luckily. Thank God. Uh, it was, that was really in the early days. It was a pooper or a puke um, to tell, you know. Yeah. And then we'd have to pull over and clean the car seat. I mean, oh. some, some of the funniest faces I see on my son's face are when I act, when he is actively shitting and you just like can like look at him and he, you just know like it's happening. Oh. Like the other day, like he like looked at me like dead in the eye. His legs just like stiffened up and you're like, it's happening. What like what is going on? <laughs> Why isn't right he now? watching TikTok right now? Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, you would be honestly, I, 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 I mean, that's all I do. Like, I'm going to be <laughs> honest. I mean, I think it's a good time to bring in, uh, bring in Johnny. Yeah, let's, do, let, let's do that. I think, yeah, we can think. Of, yeah, when it ta- when it starts us talking about our own poop, I think we have to stop. So yeah. Hey, Jelani, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm so glad to be on here. So you've got six kids. Tell us what that's like to have six kids to be a dad of six kids. I mean, we we should have one new one, so we're I can't can't imagine, but. <laughs> it's it's exactly the same, uh, believe it or not. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's not like the same at all. <laughs> um, here's the thing about having six kids, and and just so folks know, you know, uh, it's a blended family, so four step kids, two biological kids, you know, in age ranges from two to sixteen, so the whole gamut. And I think the most pronounced thing is that there's always something going on. You know, that scene from Home Alone where all the kids are like running around and they're trying to leave the house in the morning. Like that's like every day. Hopefully hopefully no tarantulas. Yeah, no tarantulas. Um, And I think the thing, you know, because I I, I went from one kid to five kids and then very quickly six, you know, as I got married and blended our two families together. And I think the thing that surprised me immediately was I had been used to giving all my time to one kid. And so resolving issues, working through emotions, you know, doing bedtime routines, you can pour all your time into one kid. When you're doing that across six kids, that starts to get just, um, there's a time, you know, consuming effort. So, you know, you both run a company and a startup, you know, the more employees you have, you can only have so many direct reports. And every time you have a new yeah. kid, it's like a new direct <laughs> report that you have to deal one-on-one with, you know what I'm saying? And that gets complicated, but I can tell you it is incredibly rewarding and fulfilling. Yeah, that's that's crazy. To think about it as direct reports is hilarious. Uh, you, know, you know, with that, listen, it sounds like you're giving up a ton of time, obviously, to your direct reports at work to your kids. I mean, how do you, I mean, this is something Michael and I talk about, you know, being founders as well. I mean, we only have one kid each, but how do you find time for yourself? Like what, like, what do you do during your me time and how do you find that time? Yeah. Um, you're right. That, that, that is tough time to find. And I think that's the first thing that folks realize. Um, so there's two junctures where me time essentially disappears. The first one is when you get married, you sort of go, oh, this isn't just like all my time now, um, which, it, which it sort of is before you get married, you know? And then when you have kids, you're like, oh, there is no time because a, a literal life 
a person needs me for everything. And if I drop the ball because I want to play some Call of Duty, like they might die. So I should be like on it, you know? <laughs> it, so for me, the me time typically comes in the form of lots of reading. I love to read. You know, I'm a big science fiction nerd. I'm in the middle of reading Dune, which is awesome. That's typically at nighttime. I love movies. And so my wife and I will watch lots of movies together. And then I like going for walks. And what's great is those are all things I love to do before I got married or had kids. So that's fairly consistent. You know, I'm not like a big let's go out guy or like throw a party or hang out with a bunch of friends. For me, it's really about sort of nice, still, quiet time. And then when it is together time, I'm typically just with my kids doing that. But it is hard to find, you know, yeah, in the middle of I can imagine. Yeah, raising kids and a company. You know. And a pandemic. <laughs> and a pandemic, exactly. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be through Dune, uh, you know, by 2023, probably. <laughs> I mean, just, just to like tag That's on right. to, I mean, like having six kids and, you know, speaking the pandemic, how has it changed the way you've had to kind of give yourself as a father and a dad? It has been both beautiful and brutal. Um, let me start with the beautiful part. You get more time with your kids. And because of the charged emotional nature of being stuck at home and not getting to see friends for the kids, it means kids are all over the place. But, you know, we have shared more time and more moments in this last handful of months, you know, in 2020 and now in 2021, than I think we had the whole previous three years. And so that's really special, wonderful and beautiful. And we have bonded. That being said, it's like trapping, you know, six ferrets in a cage. Um, <laughs> Your analogies prove, number one, you own a publishing company. And number two, you read a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's uh, it charged is the best word. And it's a little crazy and everybody's a little on edge. And then you realize when you reach that breaking point, then you go way past it. And then you're like so far past it that you're like, why do I just feel like a fuse? It's so short that if kids literally drop a grain of cereal on the ground, I'm going to explode. <laughs> and I think for me, I'm an obnoxiously patient person. The pandemic has pushed my patience to a limit to where I go. I don't actually think I'm a patient person anymore because it's really hard. It's really hard that our kids aren't going to school. They just got to go to school before and get sort of their wiggles out and come home and be normal people. But now they get all those wiggles out at home. And then there's the challenge of online school. So all of our kids are on computers all day. And then we've got a toddler. Yeah. And so he's just like breaking things all day. You know what I mean? He's just running around breaking things. So it's, look, I can't wait to send my kids back to school. Yeah, I bet. Full stop. Yeah. I, there's no shame in that feeling for me. Um they need it. My wife and I need it. And we know sort of this time is for now. And it's, it's important that we're not just like willy nilly going out, but it, but it is challenging. And I, and I really feel for all parents, uh, sort of what they're having to go through. And yeah, I mean, parenting during a pandemic is all Greg and I know, right? Literally. I think we feel almost lucky to have infants because right now they're both starting to get a little bit of independence at eight and 11 months, but it's definitely all we know. And we, we understand the beauty part of it for sure. Right being able to experience in the time where your kid learns something new every day. You're like, oh my God, now they know they have a nose mm. and they discover their toes and they start to crawl or they start solids. You know, In these different moments for us to experience some of those things, in a world where we were going to the office every day, we probably would have missed a lot of these things. Um, 100%. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Maybe we would have gotten a text and would have been filled in later, especially as founders and, you know, but it's allowed us to carve out times at different part of the day to be there with our family, be there with our kids. 
Um, so that beauty part, we definitely, we definitely understand. I mean, even if it was like lunchtime and I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, right. I got to do something. And now I'm like, I'm watching my kid figure out how to crawl while I'm eating my turkey sandwich. <laughs> it has been, I mean, Michael, for you, you had your daughter, what, a month before the yeah, pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we, Greg came to the hospital to visit my wife and I um, when Gemma was born and, and see us. Greg wasn't even barely allowed in the hospital for the birth of his own kid. Mm, yeah, I literally had to wait. My wife had a C-section. Wait on the curb of Mount Sinai Hospital for, for three hours until they told me I could come up to see my wife who was on the operating table. They handed me my son. Uh, and then they're like, all right, you got to go now. Like it was, wow. it was crazy. And then like I went home that day, my wife's in the hospital, obviously she was you know, completely by herself and almost like twiddling my thumbs. I was like, what do I do? Like I'm here alone. Do I yeah. work? Did I even have a kid? It was a surreal experience and to Michael's point. I got to go see Gemma or I saw Michael's daughter in a shorter time horizon from when she was born than I saw my own son. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. But moving on, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you're balancing a lot. You're a founder, your father is six, you have stepkids, you have biological kids, and there's a lot to balance. Like, what was your role model? Did you have a role model as a dad? Like, how did you try to figure it out? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, I like to put it like this. So I collect action figures, believe it or not. I did as a kid and now I do as an adult. And now I exclusively collect action figures of color. So they're all black and brown. And I've got, you know, if we were on Zoom, you'd see in the background, probably, I don't know how many I have, like 75 or 100 or so. And I like to think that in part, I got that because as a kid, I would grow up and I collected father figures. You know, my dad left when I was four. Both my mom and dad were on drugs. Mom decides to get clean, moves us across town, says, dad, you can come join us when you get clean. And he never gets clean. Or at least by the time he does, he sort of decides that he's not really a part of the family. And so I was left to fend for myself from a who's my role model, who's my father figure. And so I collected them. And that was, you know, soccer coaches, basketball coaches, friends, dads, you know, like, and, and, I now, as an adult, I can look back to 15 or 20 men who acted as surrogates for me. And that that's even true today. Um, truly, you know, the last company that I started, Circle, was with one of my surrogate father figures, you know. Um, one of our authors for a kid's book about is one of my surrogate father figures. And I, I don't have any shame about putting it like that. And I also... I understood the need for it, whether intuitively or directly growing up is I wanted to become a whole person and I didn't know how to do that. And so I sought advice from folks who had sort of been there and done that. And it's been remarkably formative for me as I navigate my own fatherhood to my own kids, being able to draw on their their wisdom and their input and their lives, right? Getting to watch them. And in some ways, I, there's an advantage there because I got to watch you know, 20 men be men and be dads instead of just one and sort of deal with the repercussions of whether that was a good example or a bad example. I mean, I personally, you know, I can't relate at all, but to see how you've, how you put that where, you know, the idea of taking multiple figures and the positive side of having multiple figures to, you know, craft your vision of what it means to be a dad, I can see the impact of that. And, you know, I think we all have multiple role models 
in different areas of our lives that that impact us and that leads to a lot of positive things and you know not me having one person that I can turn to and say oh that's the model of a dad you know you get the good and the bad with that but you don't get to it's harder to throw out the bad and just take the good when you can take multiple examples of good and and string that together you know it's powerful um so I can imagine 100% yeah well and make no mistake um you know it, it also is like it's not the way it's supposed to be yep. you know of course yeah I still get a little brokenhearted. You know, my dad passed a, a handful of years back and and I literally got to watch him die, you know, in a hospital bed, um, you know, after having not had seen him for, you know, maybe five or so years. But uh, he never got to see me play soccer or, you know, drain a handful of threes in a basketball game or... I mean, like, you know, he never met most of my kids and, and that wasn't because he couldn't, it's because he chose not to, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and there are like thousands of moments and examples. And so when I hear somebody talk about like my dad and use that language, that feels so foreign to me, but also I know that it ought not to feel foreign. Right. And, and so there's this gap, there's this hole in me that I've been sort of obsessively trained to fill my entire life. How do you, I mean, like, you know, going through that, you know, your your whole life and obviously your kids probably seeing other kids with grandfather figures. I mean, listen, my my father passed away a year and a half ago. Accident. He was, you know, he was the only dad I knew. So obviously a little bit different, but going through, it sounds like, you know, obviously you have some young kids. Like, how do you, how do you talk to them about that? How do you explain that to them? Because I've, you know, eight, you know, my kid's eight months. He doesn't understand a word I say yet, practically, but I know sooner or later, like I've like already tried to explain it to him or like, you know, I'm talking to him. He doesn't understand what I'm saying, but you know, how do you talk to him about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the answer and this will sound trite and almost overly obvious is you just do. Right. Um, and you, you don't shy away from it. And when the moment strikes you to bring it up, you bring it up. And when the kid brings it up, you talk about it. And you also don't do it, just do it once. <laughs> I'll give you an example. I had said something to one of my other kids that my other kid heard and they misinterpreted uh, yesterday. And, you know, they went to my wife and they were like, well, Jelani said, which is what my stepkids call me, by the way, they don't call me that. They call me Jelani, um, which is fun because my biological two-year-old son, he's two. And so he'll call me daddy or Jelani because <laughs> you know, it's both, right? But she was really concerned about something. And it was like, I used an expression that if taken literally is like really dark and really like scary. And like kids need direct language, frequent language, uh, consistent language. And over time, as they grow up and they learn more about how to process that information. And so, you know, for, for my kids, it was even helping them process like, okay, I have this dad, but he's not in my life. So he's kind of your grandpa, but he's not really your grandpa because he doesn't hold that actually like authority place in your life. I don't have a relationship with him, thus you don't. And it's actually a way of me protecting you from him. And when he was dying, you know, my wife and I had this sort of conversation about whether I was even going to go visit him. And I was like, he doesn't hold that place in my life. And, you know, my wife very smartly was like, I think you'll regret this. And I, and I very staunchly was like, I won't regret not going to see him. And I eventually went to go see him because I realized that there was more about me being a son, a good son, as opposed to him being a good father. And processing that with my kids was important too, to go, here's why I went and here's what happened and here's his relationship to you. And here's how you can process that I am, I am grieving now both the idea that my, my father is dead, 
but I'm also grieving the idea that I never had a father. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. right. You, you can imagine like, that's not just a conversation you have once with your sort of nine, 10, 11, you know, 13 and 15 year old, you'll have it again and again. And they'll ask questions and they'll look at pictures and they'll want to bring up stories. And so it's, a, it's really, it's an ongoing conversation when it's something that important. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're, your entire company is is centered around having difficult conversations with kids, right? So you authored a book called A Kid's Book About Racism. And that was the impetus for a kid's book about as a company to make kids' books have meaning. What what sparked you to write a kid's book about racism? Um, and then talk to us a little bit about like how did that you know, unfold into entire catalog of books and, you know, a successful company that ended up on Oprah's best things list. And tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll go right back to my kids. You know, it was both out of my desire to talk to my kids. Uh, and so, you know, when you're, when you're a black dad and you have white kids, you know, your kids ask questions like, Hey, uh, is this racist or what does this mean? Or like, what's it like for this? But also like their friends ask questions, who is this guy picking you up? You know, um, they have to make sense of that. And I always wanted for both my brown kids and my white kids to have the idea of skin color, race, culture, and racism be an open conversation, not taboo, not sort of like, we don't talk about that in our home. And as we were having that conversation continually, I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to have like a kid's book that was like, just ended up being this touchstone that we could come back to. And I'd always wanted to write a book and I have a huge love of kids books. You know, my favorite maybe book and or kids book is The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. And I was like, ah, this would be just a really fun project for my kids. And so you know, it wasn't too precious about it. Spent a week writing it, spent a week designing it after hours, you know, because I was already at another startup at that point and, and, you know, pressed, you know, the big red button and printed one copy because what was I going to do with two copies? Uh, this was just for my kids. And my kids unlocked a whole number of things, you know, like kids are great startup idea generators if you just give them the space to do yeah. it, you know? <laughs> um, and it was my kids who immediately were like, this should be more tough topics and you can actually literally serialize it by saying a kid's book about and replacing, you know, racism, which was the only, like the only title I had a division ever being present on any book ever that I wrote. And they suggested things like, you know, it could be about ice cream or divorce or family. And I was like, oh yeah, that would kind of work. And that planted a seed that just literally would not go away. And as I sort of spent time validating that with other parents and educators and, you know, when you're sitting in a coffee shop, which is, you know, a thing we used to get to do, I would, I would have my book sitting there, you know, waiting for a friend to come meet me for coffee and strangers would literally come up to me and go, where can I buy that book? And I was like, you mean my little kid's book about racism? Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was almost absurd to me because I thought, you know, this is like my my fun little project for my kids, but it had that sort of magnetism to it and attraction. So, you know, fast forward, for me, it wasn't so much the business that interested me, although there were some interesting bits about disrupting publishing and how books got made and who got to make books, but it was more so intuitively knowing as a parent that these kind of books didn't exist. 
They just simply didn't exist. And every time a publisher took a swing at it, it was a niche book. It was sort of, you know, like almost overly illustrated. It was always sort of, you know, read to the lowest common denominator and didn't treat kids like they were smart, you know? And I, having as many kids as I do, you know, the conversations are real and they're not, you know, it's like when you watch cartoons, I don't care what cartoon you're watching with your kid, you know, those cartoons do not reflect the real lives that kids actually have. The kids actually experience heartbreak. They actually experience racism. They actually experience, you know, sexism. Like all those things are tangible and real for the kids at the youngest of ages. And for me, it was imperative that these kind of tools existed to meet kids where they were actually at really at all ages, but especially at the youngest of ages, sort of four, five, six, seven, eight, to talk to them in that inner core and respect their experiences and their sort of social, emotional lives. Yeah. It's powerful. I mean, I imagine the kids often have a different language for explaining some of these things before they can fully grasp it. And sometimes parents probably don't know how to express it either. And giving a language through a book to shed light on these different topics makes a kid's life easier, makes the parents' lives easier, and you know, doesn't have to make it so dark and dreary, some of these topics that are, when you just address it head on. Yeah, and and the thing that parents do that seems right at the time but is always wrong is they try and use different language right. with kids. So instead of right. saying racism, they go, well, you know, um, they just were mean. And, and that's fine, but it misses the point and it doesn't give kids a, a language. And it's both out of the parents' fear of getting it wrong, but also of like somehow ruining their kid. Uh, that comes up a lot, actually, especially with my book. It came up a lot of me hearing white parents say, I don't want to break my kid's innocence. I don't want them to know these kinds of things exist. Right. right. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's not going to work out for you. <laughs> you know, but I understand the sentiment or we'll say, so-and-so passed away. We won't use words like dead or death. And then kids get confused, mm -hmm. you know? Um, totally. Because, because our, our sort of vague, euphemistic language often doesn't make any sense. But we as adults nod to each other and sort of go, I know what you're talking about. You know, we don't have to really say it because we all know what we're talking about. But for kids, they're like, no, no, really, what? And also, they're totally ready for it. Like, they're not, they don't come in with all the baggage that we do around all of these topics. Like, we have so much baggage with them, but kids are like, oh, racism? We're talking about racism? Great, racism, racism, right? Like, they're fine with it, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's a good segue to a segment that we do here called Obscure Top 5 Lists. So, we were hoping to do a top five list where we each go around and share our top five lists of obscure things. And the topic for this week with you is a kid's book about topics that probably will never be published. So Jelani, give us your, your, your number five. So we'll go from five to one, one being your you know, most obscure. I didn't order these, but I, I think I can, I can mentally order them uh, right now. Okay. So uh, number five is uh, a kid's book about dreams. Um, and I don't mean like dreams, like aspirations. I mean, dreams, like literally yeah, dreams. Yeah. <laughs> really deep and emotional. Yeah. <laughs> kind of um, I'm not sure we'll ever make that book. So that feels obscure. Um, the next one is a kid's book about toast. Uh, obnoxiously obscure. Um, I'm a big toast fan, by the way. Uh, like I can't wait to get off this podcast to go have some toast. Do you, do you like it about the, is it about the crunch 
or is it about the things that go on the toast? Why toast? Uh, I was going to say, and, it, and if it is something that's going on, what what is it? Oh, it's all of the above. It's the taste. It's the profile. It's why is it so good, yet it's so simple. It's all the mm-hmm. options, right? You know, so whether it's jelly or cinnamon and sugar, um, I, I mean... I could go all day long. Like, like, t- do you ever just go like sim- simple butter? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Because like sometimes like that is probably one of the best things. Like it hits every spot. Sometimes. Yeah, that's the ultimate comfort food for me. Is 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 buttered toast. Love it. Okay, okay. Moving up the list now. What are we at? Three, a kids' book about crying. Um, so I actually think that's a quite important topic, but it but it feels obscure and um. I think crying as a regular habit, if you can make it such a thing, is good. Uh, in as much as it's it's like that physical expelling of internal emotions and things. So for, forgive me, I'm digressing and explaining all these topics. <laughs> it sounds like where you're you're now going to go publish. That book. I know. Yeah, it's like I'm talking myself into it. <laughs> Honestly, what, what what comes first, crying or toast? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a good question. You know, maybe we do them both together. It's a it's a it's a duo. It's a compendium. <laughs> crying about toast. <laughs> Salty tears on a nice piece of toast. On, on that butter, nothing better than a little salt. All right, so another food one, uh, a kid's book about fried chicken. Um, and and again, another favorite thing. Uh, and I just sort of go, God, I'd love to make that book. Um, I don't know who's going to read it. Uh, and I wouldn't even want it to be like how to make fried chicken. That's boring to me, just about fried chicken, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last one is a kid's book about clowns. Oof, oh, that's gonna be a frightening one. <laughs> and and actually, I, like again, like all these are obscure, but th- really fascinating to me is like, what is the psychology of a clown of of someone who decides to be a clown with all the stigmas around what it means to be a clown? Because a, a, being a clown, like that takes work, and that they're, they're, there's literal clowns. You gotta go to clown school. Clown schools. Yeah, there are clown schools. <laughs> we have friends that are trained to be clowns. My wife, there you <laughs> go. That, so, that, that, you're calling your wife a clown on air. No, my wife is not a clown, but she did do a brief stint at clown school for uh, for for a Hebrew school project. But she does she does know how to clown. She's got the makeup. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that the, the verb know how to clown. She knows how to clown. Um. Uh, so that's my that's my top five list of of obscure books awesome. that I will love never that get published. Right. Well, Greg and I, Greg and I took a crack too because we wanted to contribute and give your team yeah. some ideas for some other books. So, Greg, you want to yeah, give your list? Take these for face value. You don't have to promise us anything in advance. No but, royalties. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna start with five, which is a kid's book about life before cell phones. I mean, this is just something they're never, ever, ever, ever going to know. Mm. It is the thing that one of the things that like everyone told me, and I was like, Psh, like that, that's kind of BS was like, your kid will be obsessed with your phone. And my kid is 100% obsessed with my phone, regardless of me trying to hide. I think the fact I try to hide it from him is why he loves it so much. And he's eight months old and like he's just starting to crawl and he only wants to crawl to my yep. phone. It's, yep. it's crazy. 100%. <laughs> um, so life before cell phones, I mean, I kind of remember it. I was like almost don't at this point. Um, so anyway, moving ahead. Uh, a, a kid's book about Kanye West. I mean, this guy is a complex guy. So having explained this to a kid is going to be tough. So Jelani, if you can make that book, that would be super helpful. Um, number three, a kid's book about navigating Netflix. 
uh, properly. Uh, I can spend hours on there. I can't tell you how many times I sit down, similar to you, trying to get some me time with my wife. What do we want to watch? And we watch nothing um, because it's just sometimes just too many mm-hmm. choices. Um, number two, uh, I know this is an issue for Michael and I, so a kid's book about stains. Um, I'm still staining myself every single day. Uh, so I think this would be really, really helpful. And then last but not least, a, a topic near and dear to my heart uh, is a kid's book about snacks. Um, there's just a lot of amount. There's a lot of choice out there. There's a lot of good things, a lot of things to stay away from. Um, so yeah, that's my number one. Love it. That's a great, that's a awesome. great list. Like that does percolate some ideas, man, for me. Oh, <laughs> love it. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give mine. It's hard to top, but I also um, have some complex characters on my list too. So my top five, my number five is a kids' book about Elon Musk. Uh, um, I think you know probably next to Kanye, he's probably one of the toughest people to explain to a kid. Number four, a kids' book about how planes stay in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, Number three, um, being a New Yorker, I think New Yorkers will definitely uh, feel this one. A kid's book about James Dolan and the New York Knicks. And number two, a kid's book about missing socks. Why <laughs> you always do a laundry and end up with missing socks. Where do the they sock go? Sock monster. No idea. I actually just, just bought a pack of socks for my son. It came with five socks. <laughs> one just in case you one just in case you lose one fact or maybe it's already pre-missing <laughs> <laughs> we'll take the it blame. just it's just setting expectations accordingly and then last but not least another number one a kid's book about becoming an influencer uh oh yeah Oof. yeah my kids would read that <laughs> 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 anyway, so that wraps up our obscure top five list with you, Jelani. To wrap it up here, you know, I think we have a lot to learn from the dads that come on this show, both things to, to learn how to do, maybe things or mistakes to, you know, the, the dog poop to miss. But we want to hear, what is your total dad moment? Something that just like sticks out and that was just totally a dad move. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the most recent thing and, and you both will appreciate this as startup founders. So I'm literally on the phone with like one of our authors, one of our top authors, and he's telling me about this other author that he scored for us. It's like a multi-time New York Times bestselling author and my, my kids in the tub, my two-year-old. Okay. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm pumped up. I'm already like thinking about like all the like, the things we're going to do and when we're going to make the book and what lists we're going to hit. And my son is literally pooping in the tub, (laughs) like like right there, like staring me in the eye and also like kind of starting to play with it, but he hasn't realized that he's pooped in the tub. Um, (laughs) And, and he looks down and he starts to freak out. Right. Cause now he's, he's seeing the, so he stands up and he wants to get out of the tub like right away. And I'm still, I'm still like on the phone and thankfully I have a great relationship with this author. And I was like, I gotta go. I just got to go, right? Because it was like, do I just say like, because my son pooped in the tub and it's like, do we keep talking after that? Or, <laughs> uh, and then it's like, I just, I just swoop him up. I pick him up because it's like, okay, he can't be in the tub because there's poop in the tub, but I can't set him down because he's got poop on him. Where do we go? And so I'm yelling. It takes me about five times to get my wife's attention. Uh, she comes in there and I sort of route my kid around to our shower so that he could just sit in our shower, which he loves, by the way. He'll just stay in there all day <laughs> and just be showered while we clean the poop out of the tub. So sort of classic oh, dad oh. moment just happened this week. Amazing. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, I think I think every dad coming into being a dad knows that there's poop involved with diapers and yep. stuff. But I don't think you could underestimate how much poop is involved with being a parent. Oh yeah, there's a lot. There's <laughs> they, a lot of they, poop. They don't. I mean, every, they don't estimate it for you before you go in. But there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Jelani. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, chatting Thank with you us. So much. Great to learn from you, hear from you, and uh, chat with you soon. My pleasure. This was great. Thanks for tuning into the Dad Pod. Let us know who you want to hear on the pod next by DMing us on Instagram at Lalo, that's L-A-L-O, or emailing us at dadpod at meetlalo.com. We'll catch you next week with a brand new episode. 